around the country. Welcome to the Small Business Administration award-winning School for Startups Radio, where we talk all things small business and entrepreneurship. Now, here is your host, the guy that believes anyone can be a successful entrepreneur, because entrepreneurship is not about creativity, risk, or passion, Jim Beach. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of School for Startups Radio. It's Friday the 11th. We have a fantastic show. First up, we have Rahul Sharma. We're going to talk about turning habits into good things only. And then Mitch Beinhecker will be with us. He has written a new book about 10 ways to get sued and how to not get sued if we are a smart small business. And so we have two great interviews today to wrap up the week. Next week, we have just an amazing collection. We have the CEO of SchoolJoy, the CEO of Cheddar Up, the founder of Revolier, an Olympic and X Games gold medal uh, snowboarder, the founder of Erudite, and someone who's going to teach us how to use AI to close deals. Wow, but let's get started with today's show. I am very excited to introduce my first guest. Please welcome Rahul Karan Sharma to the show. He is author of a new book called Habits for Miracles, Design Your Life Your Way. It's five-star rated on that Amazon place. Prior to this, he's had a very successful corporate career. He did 20 years in that evil corporate empire, and then how is out on his own teaching and as a coach. Rahul, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you, Tim. I'm doing great. How is your morning going? I am well. Thank you. All right. I love the title. What are you, though? I, let's go right to the heart of it. Accountability. Is that the mm-hmm. core at the absolute essence of your message? Yes. Uh I believe that in order for us to be successful, in order for us to design our life our way, we need to be accountable for our action. And in my experience, I have noticed that is where most of us fail. We don't make ourselves accountable. We find excuses for not taking action. And as a result, we don't make our dream come true. All right. Very true. But accountability is just out of style, isn't it right now? I mean, it's not my fault. It's not really, it's not. I mean, I, every, none of my friends, it's not their fault. So why would it be my fault? It's not my fault. Correct. Correct. So it's, we are not talking about the faults here, Jim. What we are trying to say is it is our responsibility to create our own destiny. Uh, we may not get uh anyone's support all the time to create our own reality so we have to take action that is what my message is uh inculcate right habits be accountable for your own action and design your life your way rather than procrastinating about things that are not coming your way but that's so hard to do that's i mean you're describing a very unpleasant path the hard path Yes, it is hard. Nothing in life is easy, Jim. So if we have to do or if we have to get things that we have never uh, received, then we will have to do things that we have never done in life. So uh, it's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not that simple. And I believe that simple things are very hard. So yes, it is hard, but it is very much doable. I've personally done it multiple times when I I had some situations and I do believe that uh, our uh, people, our listeners can also do it provided they have that belief in themselves that they can do it. All right. But that's a very huge caveat right there. The belief, Uh, they don't have that belief. So many people are lacking that. So how do they get that? 
So for getting that belief, one of the approach is, I say is, you need to look at who is part of your inner circle. Who is the individual that you are talking to on a regular basis? Are they the one who is injecting positivity in you or they are extracting positivity from you? So uh, people, your mentors, your, your family members, your friends, that would be my biggest thing that the people who are you dealing with, they are the ones who will make you believe in your own strengths. All right. Great advice. Talk about the habits in the title. How do we create a new habit or break the old bad ones? Two parts. Yes. Yes. So, uh, I'll take that breaking the hard one, breaking the not so great habits. And I have done it personally, uh, almost 12 years ago. And it is about the mindset. Uh, for me, the mindset of never giving up helped me in breaking the habit. I was a chain smoker and I quit smoking in 2011. And one of the ways that I was able to do it was having a right mindset and having that belief in myself that, yes, if I want to do it, I can do it. Where there is a will, there is a way. All right. How are you? What are the practical things though? That's easy to say, harder to actually execute. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was not easy for me to, to move away with smoking gym. I will be very honest. It took me over one year to get away with it. Uh, I tried many tricks, but I was not successful till the time I had to believe in myself that yes, I can do it. And I have to just give it away overnight. For the last one year, I was trying that, okay, I will just smoke one cigarette a day, or I will only smoke when I am with my friends or when I'm having a party. Nothing worked out. But just one day, I believe in my faith. I went to a temple. I prayed to Almighty to give me the strength to let this uh, habit go. And it was the mindset that helped me that I can leave it. And I, I did it 2011, 27th of April. Well, congratulations. And uh, thank you. That is an, a great example. So, but other than the mindset, are there any practical things you can do? Did you stop being around those other smokers or what are some of the steps you took? So nicotine oh, patch. Yes. No, I, I didn't try that. Uh, I, I, what I tried was uh, just not buying uh, cigarettes and then maybe just borrowing from friends. Those were the tricks I tried, but it, it didn't work. Um, one thing worked was the why part, the why behind, why I want to quit. And the why was my health. I want to live longer. I want to be there for my family members and friends when they need me. And when my why I was able to know my why, that's where I was able to make things happen. So it's very important for us to know our why, why we want to quit something that we want, that we are doing today. So when we know our why, things can get more clear in our mind, and then we need to have a stronger mindset to let it go. All right. How do we make our mind stronger? One uh, of the ways that I make my mind stronger is uh, talking positively, positive to my own self. And I talk it, I use this phrase called mind talk, injecting positivity in our own mind. And as you know, that uh, we do have our internal conversation with us about us all the time. And most of the time, I notice that we use the word I which is why am I upset? Why I'm doing like this? One thing that changed for me was when I inserted my own name while doing that internal dialogue, which was why is Rahul doing like this? Why is Rahul upset? And what it helped me that it was allowing me to control my emotions, my action, as well as allowing me to take better control of the unforeseen uh, circumstances. 
So the mind talk was the one that helped me a lot in building the right mindset and positive mind talk really makes a difference in everyday's life. Before the interview, you mentioned that selling a book is harder than writing a book. Talk to me about the process of getting the book done, published, written, and now sold. Yes. So uh, this all started happening in uh, when I was in a mastermind course of my coach, Dr. Delatoro McNeil. He gave us an assignment to journal down our thoughts, pen down our thoughts in a journal. And this book itself is a collaboration as well as collation of all the journals, all the learnings that I've had throughout my life. And that book uh, came in in May 9th. It was, uh, as we say, it takes a village to make things happen. With me, also, it was just not me. There were many individuals with whom I collaborated. Uh, my, my graphic designer, my, the person who designed the, uh, the book cover, as well as person who edited my book. So it, it took a lot of time, but I was determined to make it happen. I created a goal of mine to complete the book in six months, and I was able to do that. How? What was your process? Did you get up early? Do you write on the computer? Do you put paper to pen? How do you do it? So, uh, as, as you mentioned during the startup of my introduction, you know, I'm still part of corporate America. I'm still having a full-time job, Jim. Uh, I'm uh, the global learning and development for a multinational organization. So, the, one of the things that, that, were, that I was struggling with was time. And I started getting up early and documenting uh, chapters by chapter, documenting the outline first, then going deeper into the chapters. And I was making myself accountable with the goal in mind that I need to finish this, this specific, uh, specific timeline because we do too many things. Uh, I mean, I have my kids taking care of kids, working 20, uh, full, full time. So it was challenging. So one way was, getting up early. Number two, I was periodically taking notes on what I'm doing right, what I'm not doing right, where I'm going wrong, connecting with people who are established authors, taking guidance from them, learning from their past mistakes has also helped me in writing my book uh, properly. All right. Very interesting. And marketing it. You mentioned that's yes. harder than... So- Harder. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I got to know that we have to place ads multiple places. You have to talk about your book. You have to go on the podcast and still uh, things did not turn out the way I was looking at. And then what worked for me was my own uh, connections, my, uh, my inner circle. And it happens that I was talking about my book with a friend of mine, old friend of mine, and he, just within 20 minutes, I was able to get an order of 1,000 books. It was not on Amazon. It was not on any online. It was just through a referral to a friend of mine. And he liked the concept of the book so much that he wants to give away my book to his clients. So where I'm going at, it is just not about Amazon. It's just not about uh, you know online platforms. You need to talk to your people who, who like you, who love you, and who have that trust in you. That can also help you in selling your book. Great advice. That's a really good story. Uh, I like that. Uh, so now, how are you using it to help your career? How will it impact so, you? So, uh, number one, this is my, my next uh, career, as you, as you know. So this book, I want to pass on the message of my book uh, through my speaking opportunity. So this book has given me a platform to share a message, share, just not share a message, but share a message that has impacted me. And I do believe that many of uh, people around me are having the situation that I have gone through, whether it is a corporate life or personal life. and with my message, I can enlighten them, I can motivate them, and I can encourage them to do uh, to bring a better version of themselves. So 
it is helping me i'm i'm slowly and steadily moving the needle i just signed up with one of the university who's who has invited me to be their keynote and probably uh, engaging me as their faculty so that is just one win that i have in front of me and i'm planning to uh, incorporate more partnership with uh, colleges and universities so that these habits if they are inculcated early on they can uh, the students can reap the benefits for lifetime is it true the if you do something 3 days in a row it's a habit no i don't think so it's not 3 days in a row uh, definitely it's consistent statistics shows that for you to learn something new you need to do it for 21 days but that is just for you to know things for making it perfect you need to do it for more time and there are some stats around which says that you know you need to do something like for 10000 hours to make it perfect i do not know how true those stats are but for me uh, the things that have worked is when you start doing things subconsciously that's when it becomes a habit so for example when i was a smoker by the time i was getting up i you need to i you need to have a cigarette it was subconsciously before i do anything i need to have a cigarette so i when anything then we start doing subconsciously that's when it becomes a habit so and it it depends for on individual to individual for some it could be 20 days 30 days 40 days 45 days it, it depends but doing it consistently is something that will make it a habit i like that the subconscious uh effort that's a great way of thinking about it and then how long does it take to break a habit <laughs> for you it was break. one year is that it was, statistically norm no uh, unfortunately i don't know the stats there but uh, again it 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 depends on individual to individual uh i have i have encountered encountered people who have done it sooner and i have encountered people who have taken more than a year uh so it's all about that persistency and it is for me as i said earlier it, it was the why part that why became very very strong uh, which was my health and that really motivated me to go stronger to let it go how are ethics impacting your leadership and the way that you approach any topic how how does ethics permeate every decision that you make the most important for me uh and i'm sure it is it is the important for any leader uh ethics comes before anything and the way uh when i'm whenever i'm encountered for taking any decision jim i i think on this way that the first thing how the decision that i'm going to make will be helping my organization because that organization has hired me to for their well being so that is number one number two i see how that decision that i will be taking will be helping my team the people that i'm serving and number 3 is how that decision will be helping me so that is the uh, the the uh, the solution that i have whenever i'm i'm into two minds or whenever i'm taking a important decision and as as you mentioned about ethics ethics is the most important i i make sure that i am not uh taking uh, anything j- just because it is unethically right i mean there are a lot many things that we do there are a lot of shortcuts but i am not a believer in shortcuts shortcuts can give you a small success but i am a believer that you know do it right and do it well so that you can answer your own self that you are doing it right and ethics the way i look at it jim is it's not about doing things right all the time it is also about doing things right when no one is looking at you when no one is seeing you when no one is observing you are you still doing that what you want to do that is how i look at ethics i couldn't agree more what about developing more of a growth mindset you talked earlier about how important mindset is how do i change my mindset how do i get that growth mindset so um for growth mindset uh, 
I do believe that every individual, uh, it's very difficult for us to say that, hey, you are a growth minded or hey, you are a fixed minded. I think individuals have a tendency to to act as a growth minded in a situation and act as a fixed minded individual in a situation. Um, one of the ways that we can develop our growth mindset is uh, be curious, uh, become a curious learner to know what uh, what are the newer things that are available. Just because you have been doing things for a long and it has been it has worked for you does not mean that there would not be any other way, alternative way. So be curious. The another thing I would say is don't hesitate in asking for help. Uh, most of the time, we leaders, we fell into the trap that we need to have all the answers. Uh, we are responsible to do everything right for our organization or for our team. But unfortunately, sometimes you may not have an answer. So you don't be afraid of asking for help. That is number two. And number three, inculcate the habit of self-learning. Self-learning uh, through books or through podcasts, through uh, any other medium that is working for you. So if we can have these uh, two to three aspects, definitely it will allow us to build the growth mindset. All right. Great advice. What are you going to work on next? I'm working on a concept of uh, accidental leader, Jim. Uh, I have a lot of my entrepreneur friends and uh, I, it came to my uh, knowledge that a lot of our entrepreneurs friends, they are great in terms of thinking. They are courageous, but they fail to go through a proper uh, leadership development programs and they struggle at times so i'm working on a program called accidental leader for our entrepreneurs buddy so who can uh, learn from uh, the some of the basic nuances of leadership and they can uh, enhance their entrepreneurship career and how do we get a copy of the habits for miracles book find out more follow you online all that please Sure. So uh, the book is available on all the major platforms, Amazon, Apple, Kindle, Barnes & Nobles, uh, Habits for Miracles, Habits number four, Miracles uh, is the title. And uh, I can be reached on my social media, LinkedIn, or on my website, which has all the details to connect with me, which is habitsformiracles.com or mindtalksmatters.com. Rahul, great stuff. Thank you so much for being with us. One, you're a dad, right? Yes. How do we do this in our kids? How do we teach our kids to have good habits and to be accountable when <laughs> society is leading in the other direction? As parents, how do we Yes, do yes. Great question, uh, Jim. And uh, I was just speaking to uh, a colleague uh, earlier, I mean, last week, and I was telling them that my kids are, have become a guinea pig for me. Unfortunately, they are the ones who have uh, imbibed the, the mind talk concept and they are sharing stories with me that how, uh, how it is helping them. So one way that has worked for me and I would advise to all parents, uh, kids are uh, exact copy of, of our, uh, ourselves. So if you want to inculcate good habits in your kids, just be good in front of them. So, no. so if <laughs> That's the worst thing you could say. Exact copies of us. We're doomed. Oh, you're right. You know, the Bible says the, the sins of the father are passed down for generations and generations. Oh, it's such a sad thought. Yeah, but but uh, unfortunately, it's true, Jim. I mean, most of the uh, the genes as well as the habits they are passed on. So unless and until the kids take some subconscious effort not to follow what we are doing, what we are not doing good, uh, they will get it uh, by through genes. I mean, it is not in our control. It happens. Uh, that is what I have seen in, in the families that I have uh, I've met, the kids that I have met, uh, they, they do replicate uh, their, their, their parents in, in a way. 
I think you're right. Rahul Karan Sharma, thank you so much for being with us. The books again, the book again is called Habits for Miracles. Rahul, thank you so much for being with us. Great stuff. Great conversation. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. And we will be right back. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a wonderful question. That's a oh, my gosh. I love the opportunity to do this. Thank you, Jim. Wow, that's that's a, that's a great one. You know, that is a phenomenal question. That's a great question, and, and I don't have a great answer. That's a great question. Oh, that is such a loaded question. And that's actually a really good question. School for Startups Radio. We are back, and again, thank you so much for being with us. Very excited to introduce another great entrepreneur and entrepreneurial resource. Please welcome Mitch Beinhacker to the show. He has been an entrepreneurial attorney for the last two or three decades and has just released a new book called 10 Ways to Get Sued by Anyone and Everyone. I love the title. Mitch, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. All right. So what? tell us a little bit about the practice first. So you're a solo uh, sure. guy now. I love that. Tell us yeah. about the law that you are practicing and who your clients are. Um, sure. I'm, uh, I've been solo for on and off throughout my career, had partners, different things. But since about 2019 into 2020, just for the pandemic, I went back out solo. I run basically a virtual practice. Um, everything's in the cloud. I see clients uh, remotely, some in person, but not as much as I used to. Uh, my practice is mostly focusing on working with small business owners, entrepreneurs, startups, family-owned businesses, groups like that. Um, about a third of my practice is also estates and trusts and probate, um, but a lot of the, that is for the business owners. Um, and I guess maybe the third piece is commercial real estate, but that often involves a business owner who's leasing a space or buying a building or those types of things. So that's really my area of practice. It's really just transactional. I do a lot of contract writing, a lot of negotiating of contracts. Uh, putting together what I call governance documents of companies, making sure all those things are done properly, setting up companies for people, helping them buy businesses, sell businesses, all those types of things. Um, and that's pretty much my practice. I've been practicing over 30 years. So I'm, I think I'm in my 31st year. And um, I like what I do, helping people. I don't like going to court, though. That's the one thing. Sometimes I get stuck going well, to court, but I try to avoid and it. Everything and Correct. working less and than used to, but yeah, it's not. And, it's a not. It's not my forte. So yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Before yes. we get into the book, I just have to ask as an aside: as someone who's out there looking at commercial real estate contracts and such, yeah, uh, are you seeing? What are you seeing in the commercial space? doomsday coming a lot of leases getting uh, not doing well what do you yeah. see well in in the in the space i work in i really haven't seen that a lot of the shift has gone towards you know more people are opening up small businesses more people are going out on their own so i haven't really seen you know landlord struggle i don't work with large landlords i'm sure the the ripple effect you're going to start to see is in you know the larger cities as people work at least part-time from home or in their neighborhoods. And they're looking for like my office is in a co-working space. Now I don't have my own office because I don't have to manage all those things that I normally don't want to manage. So, and this space, which was not very full going into pandemic is packed now. So over time, you'll, I think you'll see more of that stuff. And I see landlords building spaces out in the commercial side in more of the, you know, the urban, the suburban cities, so I think that's what you're going to see. And that's what I'm starting to see is that the bigger cities are going to suffer because, you know, they rely on us to commute and to pay for parking and to buy food and sometimes to pay parking tickets and, you know, things like that. Uh, and I think the large, the smaller cities where people live and normally would commute in, you're going to start to see that they're going to benefit from the business owners being in their town more when they used to go to work and then come back at night. And it was more, you know, the, the, foot traffic was more in the evenings than the weekends like in the town that i live in i live in westfield new jersey our downtown is you know it's quieter during the business day that's changing so i think that's what you're going to see in a lot of these spaces are going to get converted maybe to you know combined living and working 
um, from that space. We'll have to see how that's paying out. But on the commercial side that I work on, I don't really see that from my business owners. They're they're thriving. They're getting opportunities. They're renting spaces. The landlords don't seem to be having trouble getting tenants. Not yet. All right. Let's dive in and talk about the book. Give us sure. one of the ways to get sued. Maybe give us a premise first. Okay, sure. The premise of the book is, and the way we started, and it's more of a resource guide. It's not a parable or a story. So I don't want anybody to buy the book and be like, oh boy, I can't wait to read it. It is it is a resource guide that every business owner should have on their bookshelf so they can take a look at the table of contents and say, oh wait, I didn't do that, or I should look into that, and you can read about it. A lot of the chapters are interviews with other ex other legal experts, other attorneys that practice in areas that I don't necessarily practice in, and some of them are just um, on my end. But the, the main theme of the book is keeping things in writing, whether it's contracts with customers or with vendors or a business plan with your partner or operating agreements or whatever it is, the problems that occur that ultimately result in, in litigation are usually lack of documentation and misunderstandings between the parties, right? So in one of the chapters, I think it's actually the first chapter, I interviewed a memory expert and we talked about the fact that in most cases, our memories are not perfect. We don't have a file cabinet in our head and we, we get information, we file it away. Very few of us have minds that work like that. Our mind is basically a large box with sticky notes and those sticky notes very often get stuck to other things that are not related to those to those notes. And we get very confused over time. And you can improve your memory through training and so forth, you know, remembering names, remembering dates and so forth. But for the most part, if you have an agreement with somebody and it's basically a verbal agreement and you don't agree on whatever you think you agreed to and what the other person thinks they agreed to, it's going to lead to ultimately either an arbitration, a mediation, going to court, because you just don't know you you're you're staunchly believe that it's you're right and the other person believes they're right you both might really believe that so without having something in writing to go back to to say what you know what are the rights of the parties uh the shareholders in in the company what what, what did i agree to with the client when the client says you didn't say that you didn't say that it, what this fee wasn't refundable kind of have that kind of have that in writing and there are some industries where writing is required like in the real estate business and things like that um you know uh home improvement industry also is very common as at least in new jersey and a lot of states so that's the main theme of the book right keeping records keeping things in writing and being able to manage your business and avoid or, or minimize i should say the um the consequences of misunderstanding i'll call misunderstandings let's say they're not intentional right let's assume your partner's not intentionally trying to rip you off but um they're misunderstandings and they're they're misrecollections if that's a word and sure. that's the theme of the book yeah all right uh you know that seems so basic right and i'm sitting here mitch as you're describing this i'm having some plumbing work done at the house right now and yeah. we've got some text that we've traded the plumber and i the I famous saw text, him the yeah. other day at, yeah famous last words and i saw him the other day and said you know i don't have your card or an invoice or anything and he's like i don't have anything right now and i was like i'm gonna have your anything and so he wrote right. it on the wall for me mitch uh, <laughs> how admissible is that so do i can i take a picture of that or do i have to bring the whole wall into court right, right. no well probably a picture would do you know judges try to put together contracts between parties when there's not a lot of documentation but in the home improvement industry specifically and in a lot of states certainly new jersey new york and several many of the states a plumber who's basically doing home you know home improvements home work repairs and things like that is supposed to do it in writing. He's supposed to give you an estimate, which you sign off on. And if there's changes, he's supposed to give you those changes in writing for you to review and initial and sign off on. And if the, in this particular industry, because it's different than, you know, your general business to business, you know, um, dealing, it's your homeowner, it's a home improvement issue. He's going to be in a lot of trouble if there's a discrepancy between between the two of you, because if you don't want to pay and you go to court, the judge is going to hold him to a higher standard because he's a professional and he's got to follow certain rules. So it's very important that as a 
business owner, you know the rules that apply to your industry and you follow those rules. And let me tell you something, Jim, it's very common in the home improvement, home repair industry that trades people, especially when they're working from home, you know, maybe they got started, they're a local plumber, whatever. They don't take the time to learn the rules, to talk to a lawyer and to follow the law. And you know what? Judge isn't going to care. If you're licensed and you're providing these kind of services, you got to know the law and they're going to hold it against you. So, you know, you if there's a discrepancy, you bring a picture of the wall in or your text messages, judge is mostly going to read it in your favor, not in the plumber's favor, because the plumber already violated the law. It might even say in the statute, depending on the state in which you're in, that the if if the professional, let's call them right, if the tradesperson violates the statute, they're not even entitled to sue for monies that are owed. That's true in New Jersey. It's a given. So, yeah, so it's very have, important. We, for, are you allowed to pump your own gas in New Jersey yet? <laughs> no, you're not allowed. Well, you're allowed to pump your own gas in New Jersey, but they don't have self-serve. Like, you know what I'm saying? The guy's right. busy. You can get out and pump your own gas, but there's no self-serve pumping stations yeah they're all full service well one price uh, and there's a guy there yeah okay are, are so there's no are, reason to pump your own gas right <laughs> exactly yeah that's that's a that's a union thing right so yeah, years and years course. ago and new jersey hasn't hasn't changed that the ironic thing is we don't really pay more for gas in new jersey than we do in other states um and we have a like a 23 cent gas tax right now that's been imposed so if they repealed that the price would go down it's weird that's not i don't, know, I don't know why 23 they, uh, Sense of gallon is not very much. Give us another one, Mitch. No. Give us another way to not get sued or to get sued by everybody. Yeah, um, one of the biggest things I see that business owners don't do is they don't have a business plan. And I'm not talking about you go out and you spend ten or fifteen thousand dollars on hire a professional and they create all these charts and graphs and all this wonderful thing, bind it up. I'm talking about a written strategic working plan that you can go back to on a you know, quarterly, monthly, semi-annual, annual basis to work your business because you will forget things. You'll do them wrong. You won't know what you tried, what you didn't try. And business owners constantly have problems. And I get calls. They either need to shut down. They have a lease problem. They got to negotiate out of the lease. And I said, well, well, let's take a look at your business plan. What's wrong? What's going on in your business plan? I hear like, you know, crickets on the other end of the phone. They're like, well, I, uh, I, I don't have a business plan. Why, why wouldn't you have a business plan? Why wouldn't you have some sort of, some sort of a strategic document that keeps your mind you know, organized as you go through this? So very, very common for small business owners. So you know, Mitch, people write business plans because they're raising money or things. So yeah, do you very common. have one for your practice that says you want to bill, you know, $3 million this year, which would be up 10% from last year. I mean, this, would you do that at your level? Uh, yeah, yeah I get questions. Yeah, I, I did a uh, several years ago during the pandemic. I did like a five day business plan challenge where I had people come on for free and they went through this process over five days to write the business plan, which is hard to do, by the way, in five days. It was a it was a basic plan to get them started. And I did have colleagues who were attorneys who reached out to me and said, hey, should I be participating in this? Like, do I need a business plan? I'm like, of course you do. And I have my strategic plan. Some of them are goal setting. Some of them are strategic growth in certain sections or certain types of programs that I offer. I have a monthly retainer program for business owners. I do certain tax strategies I'm, I'm involved with that I handle. I want to grow that area. So, yes, I do have a working ongoing business plan, parts of a business plan. So what happens with a business plan doesn't stay a plan. It becomes like, it should become like different, you know, parts, parts of how you deal with your person, your uh, personnel, how you deal with what your marketing strategies. And these should develop over time into larger and larger, let's call them binders or booklets or whatever. But yeah, you're a business owner, you're a professional accountant, attorney, a doctor, you know, I'm sure doctors don't. I mean, I, maybe they do some business plans. I think in some cases, you just people have to go to the doctor. So as you get patients, you know they're going to come, and you just kind of get off on it. You don't really do a lot of strategic planning. But the the ones that are into business, uh, when it comes to running their practice, do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, very important. Overlooked. People think, oh, what do I need this for? You know, All you right. do. Give me another one. Another one in the book. Um, I'll pick one that I don't necessarily handle uh, in the employee uh, work environment. 
You want to make sure that not only do you document things, but you provide a safe environment. And I just just mean physically safe, and there's all chapter on it, but also obviously emotionally safe from harassment, sexual harassment, things like that. And a lot of things in the employee arena, and I'll preface this by saying I'm not a really a full-time employment attorney. I do some non-NDAs and non-competes and things like that. But documentation is, is a key in that. In, in that arena. So if you have employees and the employee is not performing well, because in most states, including New Jersey, employees are generally at will, unless they're in some sort of protected class, they're pregnant, uh, they're a minority, they're a certain age, you know, in the 60, I think over 62, 65 protected class. But if they're not in a protected class and you want to fire this person, you can do it for no, basically no reason, but really good to be to document why you're you know what's been going on and you've warned them and so because they'll make up something else that you were the reason some way you discriminated against them or whatever and it becomes difficult um another part of that that kind of fits in there is i find a lot of business owners don't take the time to really learn about the kind of insurance protections that are available to them in their particular industry and that they should have so they just buy a basic business owner's policy. They get started, which has basic stuff. They don't worry about things like cybersecurity. There may be minimal coverage in a basic policy, but you know nowadays people steal your data. They get access. You got all kinds of issues. There's something called EPLI insurance, which is employment practices liability insurance. It covers things like complaints from employees and stuff like that. Um, and depending on your industry, it may not be that expensive. So I find that that's overlooked a lot too, and that avoids suits because generally, with a life with a life with a, an insurance policy, you're basically buying an attorney from the insurance company to represent you and know, deal with the claim. So you don't have to go to court and get pulled in the middle of it and and lay out the fees and so forth. So that's that's definitely another one. It's 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 uh, overlooked. People take it for granted. They buy a basic policy and they never review it again. So common all right several good ones in there and when you were talking about the hr and firing people yeah that really just brought me back to what you said in the very beginning you gotta have it in writing and the warning yeah in writing that is one thing i learned uh, yeah the hard way. water cooler discussions are not good comments that people make are not good People, things can be taken the wrong way, and you want to basically show that if something happened between two employees or something was misunderstood, that you took steps to mitigate the problem immediately, and you want to be able to show that. The only way to do that is to keep notes and to you know to to keep good records. I also learned that having that piece of paper makes it so much easier to actually fire someone, which is hard for us entrepreneurs. So many of us have never done that before. And we have to fire someone and say, you've gone through all the warnings and stuff and you really want to fire them. And say, you know, here's the sheet of paper that confirms that I am letting you go. And it makes the conversation easier because you can almost just read the sheet of paper to them, you know, but you know, that physical piece of paper, I think, makes that conversation easier. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, you've given them a chance. You've given them warnings for whatever it is that they're not performing on. You know, part and parcel of that is very important that you have an employee handbook, a written document, which could be part of your business plan, part of your personnel, you know, uh, plan that the employees clearly know what their job descriptions are, what they're entitled to take as vacation or time off or whatever, what things they're not allowed to take, all those types of things, what the benefits are available. So there's no misunderstandings because that leads to problems with employees also when, when there's no handbook. And you can find handbooks online. You can talk to your payroll company. They probably have a sample handbook. Don't just sign it and give it out. Read it and figure out what you actually want to be a policy and also learn the laws and the things that you are required to do. If you know what uh, paid time off is now, PTO, it's, it, you know, you have to provide that based on a certain amount of time, service, and whatever you can do. So you want to make sure that you don't run awry of those rules because you can, you can uh, uh, run into problems. Um, actually, that gets me into another issue that's very common, and this is in the employment, you know, chapter in the arena, is that it's very common for small business owners Um, entrepreneurs to bring someone on, let's say on a, in a 1099 capacity, right. As an, as a independent contractor. So you have a company and you're going to hire this person to be your assistant. She works from home. He works from home and they're going to be your 
and you're going to pay them on a 1099. Okay, well, you don't get to choose who's an independent contractor and who's not just by deciding that that's how you're going to pay them. And a lot of business owners run into problems with the Department of Labor and they have to pay fines. And those fines often involve hiring an attorney to negotiate them down, hopefully. If not, they could be massive. They could add up very quickly. Um, and you got to know what the rule is, which isn't so hard. You, you Google it and you find out what the what the what the red line rule is in your particular state. New Jersey has an ABC rule. You, if, you, if you don't meet one of the ABC requirements, you're an employee. And you the know, state Rich, wants people to be protected. That I, I'm so concerned about that for entrepreneurs yeah. because yep. a lot of the places, the rule is if you tell someone what to do and when to do it, they're an employee. Right. And yeah. Uh, that's a, a pretty low standard in my opinion. And it's one of the significant reasons that I really push people toward the gig websites, you know, the, right. uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, Upwork. Exactly. And, right. Uh, I I've had incredible success with getting a full-time virtual assistant just for me out of the Philippines. Just incredible yeah. success there. And I don't think that I can get in trouble 1099 with that bitch. no I? you won't because they're no because and they're first of all i'm sure they're not working just for you so they work for a company or they have their own company so virtual assistants are a very good example if you're using a virtual assistant service you're doing it through upwork or whatever yeah clearly they're independent contractors they're also going to do their work kind of when they can you're not going to say hey clock in at 9 a.m my time and be available to me nine to five they got to deal with things as, as they go the states in general especially new jersey new york that want to protect the employees they make it a very stringent test to be a, an independent contractor because they want people to fall into the employee w2 bucket first of all they make more money and also the employee has more protections under the law than an independent contractor so and New Jersey passed, passed more legislation during the pandemic that made it even harder for you to classify people as independent uh, contractors. So if you're dealing with somebody who can provide services to your company, you want to make sure they have their own business. They have their own LLC. I mean, if they're in the Philippines and you're dealing through Upwork, you're fine there. It's not You're not going to put them on your payroll because they're in the Philippines. But if they're here, let's say you meet them through Upwork, right? And they start working for you and they're in the United States. And now they're working for you really full time. Uh, and they don't work for anybody else. You met them through Upwork. They should then be converted to a W-2 unless they're forming their LLC, their own company, and they're dealing with multiple people, not just you. Then you're, you're going to have you're going to have problems. Wow, great advice. Yeah. Common, common business mistake because you just get started and you don't know what you're doing and you're just trying to you know make your way. You're not setting up a payroll because you own the company. You don't need a payroll for yourself. And then you run into these problems. And there are industries where it's very common to pay you know, teachers or instructors on a 1099, but Department of Labor goes after these people and right. they don't like it. Mitch, we got time for another one. Give us another one. <laughs> another one. Let me see a book right here. How about very common failure to sign like non-solicit, non-compete, non-disclosure agreements with employees. Um, even if you have a, you have a barber shop or whatever, you want at least the people working for you to agree right? That, well, non-competes are hard to enforce, but maybe, you know, you get them to agree they won't be within, you know, two blocks or place that they would open up their own uh, barbershop, right? What you don't want them to do is to leave you and to steal all your customers. That they can't do if you have it in writing, right? So you can't solicit employees. You can't solicit uh, customers. And that's important to have the, if you don't have it in writing, you're, you're dead in the water. So it doesn't have to be a complicated agreement. It can be one or two pages, but it is enforceable. Because it causes you damage, and that's what you, you know, you contracted for when you started with them. Harder to do while they're employed. You know, you got to give them some sort of compensation. In my opinion, the area's a little gray on that, but um, yeah, very common. And then I get business owners that call me. Oh, you know, uh, Bob just announced he's leaving me, and I'm afraid that he's going to leave. He knows all of our customers, and he's going to take him. He knows our vendors, and he's going to start his own business. Well, do you have anything in writing? No, we don't. Okay, too late. You know, so now you got direct competition. So very commonly overlooked with small business owners. They don't think about it. Large companies obviously have people sign NDAs, unsolicit, um, non-competes all the time. But smaller business owners do not think about that. 
and it becomes a problem if you have a business that somebody else could easily go into. You have a burger shop. They want to flip burgers down the street. You might not be able to stop them from competing, but at least, you know, keep them from dealing with your vendors and, you know, things like that. So that's a big one. Mitch, when I was a kid, I went to the barbershop down the street, right? I didn't know yeah, anything of course. was interesting about it. While I was, I guess, in my teens and then 20s, that barbershop was on the cover of Fortune magazine and then Forbes magazine later. Right. And what are the chances of a barbershop being on the cover of Forbes or Fortune, right? There was something special about it. Eventually, you know, what we all learn is that there are lots of stories about Coca-Cola employees finding out who's going to be the next vice president in that barbershop, right? It's one of the barbershops right. where executives like goes way to, you know, the old Coca-Cola CEO from the eighties and nineties was hanging out and uh, NFL stars were also going to get their haircut. Uh, right. The NFL so people want to know there. Right. So sure. it was uh, a true institution. And my guy, Dave, I think was his name, left right. and started yeah. his own place around the corner and got sued. And he was my guy. You know, he was one who actually cut right. my hair. So I went around the corner, right? right? You of know? course, because he's your guy. People generally like to stay with the person they're comfortable with. It's right. a vanity thing when it comes to, you know, exactly. So don't go with the same guy. But yeah, look, I had a kid situation where somebody left. Uh, you know, I represent a barbershop. Somebody left, and they left because the the um, salon that was a couple of blocks away lured them away, and we had an agreement: not solicit, not compete. So we sent a cease and desist to the to the owner, and he still hired her, but he didn't put her in our town. He put her in another location that was you know, twenty miles away. So, which is outside the scope of the of the agreement. So, we at least were able to prevent this person from just literally walking down the street and taking all of her local customers. Now, if they want to drive twenty you know twenty miles to the new place, there's nothing my you know, my person really do about it. But at least it makes them think twice, you know. <laughs> Mitch, great yes. stuff. I love this. I could play uh, all day. How do we find out more? Follow online, get a copy of 10 ways to get sued and listen to your podcast as well. Yes. So, uh, sure. So the book is available on Amazon in paperback and Kindle versions. You can just do a, you know, a search for 10 ways to get sued by anyone and everyone. You'll find it. You can also go to my website. So I have a personal website, mitchbeinhacker.com, where you can learn about the podcast. The podcast is called The Accidental Entrepreneur. We've been going about four and a half years, interviewed about 300 different business owners and people that work in the SMB space. You can get um you know episodes on all the directories as well as youtube and um we do a live show the third thursday of every month if you want to you want to tune in so that you can subscribe to and also my law practice vinehackerlaw.com uh is you know has all my legal services on there. work i'm admitted in new jersey almost admitted in new york waving in there and federally i do tax planning you know for federal taxes across the country um, and, uh, yeah, that's, and I'm on, on LinkedIn, social media. I'm easy to get a hold of to answer questions available for, you know, free consults. I think the book, there's a link to the book, I think also on the mitchbeinhacker.com website, um, because there's eBooks on there and there's videos and there's a link that'll take you right to Amazon to buy the book. Fantastic. Mitch, thank you so very much for being with us. Really appreciate it. And hope you'll come back. Hope the book sells well. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. We are out of time. Have a great weekend, everyone. Be safe. Make a million dollars. Bye now.